Saving Democracy, a podcast dedicated to promoting, assisting, and empowering youth-led grassroots organizations and the policy agendas and candidates they champion. I'm your host, David Cromwell. After the 2016 election, some in the media were suggesting the imminent death of American democracy. But the young people in America had other ideas. Not only did they turn out in unprecedented numbers for the 2018 midterm elections, they have also emerged at the forefront of what is arguably the largest grassroots movement for change since the 1960s, with gun control, climate change, social justice, and many other issues on their minds, America's youth are reinvigorating our democracy and inspiring us all to take action ourselves, and we all have a moral obligation to help them as the movement they've built continues on. Welcome back to Youth Saving Democracy. I'm your host, David Cromwell. For the past year, Parkland, Florida has become a community dear to America's heart. It is a community that represents the very best of America, diverse, inclusive, and kind-hearted, a place where bridges are built as opposed to walls, and where everybody looks out for one another regardless of one's race or creed. It's these characteristics that made its youth respond to the unspeakable, despicable tragedy that befell Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School with admirable strength and courage. It is because of them and youth all across America that the House of Representatives passed sweeping gun safety legislation last week, and now... The Republican-run Senate Judiciary Committee will be holding a hearing on this legislation. We are getting closer and closer to finally curbing the epidemic of gun violence in America, but we still have a ways to go. And one young activist that will be helping lead the fight to get this done is Logan Rubenstein. Logan is currently a freshman at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School and is the co-director of the March for Our Lives Parkland chapter. Welcome to the program, Logan. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Great to be here. Yeah, great to have you. And uh, Logan, uh, describe what happened through your eyes on February 14th, 2018. I know you currently weren't enrolled at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas at the time, but what did you do when the news first broke, and how did you deal with the pain, horror, and heartbreak for the rest of that fateful day? Well, um, I wasn't at Douglas, as you said, but um, I was at the middle school, because I I was in ACL last year, so I was at the middle school um, a couple miles away, so it was... It was very, I think the, the, the one word that pops into my head is confusion because um, we first went to a code yellow when it was happening and then 30 minutes later we went to a code red. So we all went in the corner in my, in my fifth grade math class and it was just very confusing because there were kids on my left that were in, um, on the phone with their um, brothers and sisters and parents and I was confused because I thought it was happening at my middle school. So I was um just really not understanding what was happening. And just I, I, I thought it was happening at um, my middle school, so I was like shushing people, but I didn't understand that it was happening at Douglas. I thought it was happening like at my middle school too. Um, but I was at Douglas the day before. I was there um, February 13th for the freshman orientation. So it was, um, it, it was just a really weird feeling because I think I shook Chris Hickson's hand. I was one of the, um, the athletic director that died in the shooting. I'm pretty sure... Um, I shook his hand and he, he gave me a whole spiel about um, wrestling because I'm a big guy and he was talking about how I should be wrestling. And it's, um, it's, it's just sad what happened. and it, it, It's terrible how um, it happened, but 
we're moving on from this and we're, we're trying to um, do our activism and try and change the world. So, yeah. Yes, and Chris Hickson, one of the heroes uh, that died that day, uh, he died so that others uh, may live. Thank you for bringing him up indeed, uh, Logan. And as you said uh, to me uh, several weeks ago, this was easily one of the most preventable tragedies imaginable. Like, why it took so long for security at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School to declare a code red, despite knowing Mm. everything possible about this perpetrator in advance, I'll just never know. And the big question I have is, do you, the students of Marjorie Stoneman Douglas, feel any safer now than you did 12 and a half months ago? I, I, I wasn't there last year, so I don't know for that um, stance. But um, for me, I feel safe to an extent. I mean, I, I never feel 100% safe, but the yeah, actual security and SROs or school research officers and, um, and school monitors and... Um, and three points of entry and IDs. So we're, we're safe to an extent, but what I'm focused on is the communities that don't get um, brought up all the time and don't have their national um, national news attention. Um, for Parkland, it was, it was everyone and their mom knew, knows about us and their grandma knows about us, but it, it, it's the black um, and the minorities communities in Chicago or Milwaukee or, um, or Boston or DC or Baltimore that deal with this every single day and no one talks about it. That's just, people think that's the way it is and that shouldn't be, that that just shouldn't be. We should, as a country, be better than that. Like, as terrible as the Parkland shooting was, it opened my eyes to see how gun violence is a problem in America and how we need to solve this. Oh, absolutely. Amen to everything you said. And you just touched upon one of our other topics, and I will go to that topic right now. And uh, you just nailed it right on the head. One of the things that I really love about March for Our Lives that you guys are doing is that you have made a point of emphasis about the um, racial disparity, as you said, in the attention certain types of gun violence receive. As you have said, the press treats tragedies like Parkland and Columbine like their front page news, but it totally ignores places like the south and west side of Chicago or Detroit or Baltimore or south central LA, you name it, where gun violence claims lives every single day. The question I have Mm -hmm. is how can we, as ordinary citizens, give such communities the attention that the media establishment just won't give them? I think that for starters, we need to focus on gun reform. Um, so we need to focus right now. Um, S42, which is in um, the Senate, and uh, HR 1112, which um, or, or two, um, S42 would, would cover universal background checks, which would make every single background check, I mean, every single firearm purchase have a background check, even if it's a, a unlicensed dealer. So that's for starters. And then also HR 1112 would close the, um, the Charleston loophole, which the Charleston shooting were um, nine or Ten, ten or nine um, black um, churchgoers, the white supremacist, white supremacists walked in and shot them all. So it, I, you know, so we can start there, um, and then also just get involved in your communities. Like how I'm doing, I'm the co-director of the Parkland chapter. Um, start a start a martial arts chapter in, in your area, in your community. Reach out to your friends, your family, whatever, and have them politically involved because this topic affects all of us. It's not just Parkland or Columbine or Sandy Hook, as you said, but we're all at risk for gun violence. It, it, there's no, 
color creed at the other side of a bullet. It's just, it affects all of us. So you just try to get politically involved as you can as political. Oh, absolutely, Logan. Um, starting in March for our lives chapter or um, a chapter for Students Demand Action or Team Enough, uh, two of the other uh, youth-led uh, gun violence prevention organizations in your community um, will uh, be um, excellent uh, to to do it. And the collaboration between communities that March for Our Lives has emphasized has been a great thing too. Like I was very touched to see that a lot of uh, the notable uh, activists uh, from uh, Stoneman Douglas uh, came to the south side of Chicago to stand in solidarity with the black kids there and, and to, to mm-hmm. just to let people know that, hey, these kids deserve the exact same attention that we do. And uh, so another way where you could do is like if you like say live in suburban Chicago like I do and there is a rally to support the community on the south side of Chicago, go to that rally and stand with the community in solidarity and let them know that you care. I think that's a very good way to help uh, draw attention and make those communities feel like uh, they're included in all of this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, just to make an additional suggestion, but back to these systemic failures at the local level that led to this tragedy. Uh, a guy rightfully receiving the brunt of the blame is Broward County as Superintendent Robert Runcie. And uh, there was a vote this week by the Broward County School Board on whether to fire him or to retain him, and they actually voted to retain him by a 63 mm-hmm. vote, uh, despite uh, what you all have been making clear about the incompetence of the job he has done uh, even since uh, the uh, tragedy, and uh, why do you think uh, the school board voted to retain him? Um, I wasn't surprised by the decision at all. Um, the Broward um, school board is very much on Muncie's side, so I wasn't surprised. But the, the right thing to do, the, the 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 just thing to do, is was to fire Muncie. He's um, spit in the faces of the parents um, of the, the the victims from Parkland. Um, and he's just done a terrible job in the aftermath. The only time he's actually done anything was when um, Alex Schachter's dad, Max Schachter, um, was like very um, vocal about run scene and, and like laid out plans and things that would save lives and like for school security. And only then, after arguments and after all this stuff, he finally um, decided to do a lot of um, school security measures, but he's been awful to the victims' families and has manip- manipulated and deceived them countless times. He's misallocated school safety school safety funds that could have saved lives at MSC. Um, there was actually back in 2014, there was uh, when people voted, there was um, an amendment. I want to say, or there was, there's a tax that would. Um, give more tax and give more money to the school board so they can pay for school security and, and, um, and other stuff. And Renzi didn't use the funds correctly. Um, there's $800 million in funds and Stoneman Douglas didn't see almost any of it. So he, he fell on that part. And then he lied about, um, and in the public he's lied about, um, in kind of his way, to, for his um, people against him. So he's just done a terrible job in Broward. So I believe that he should have got fired, um, but the school board, I guess, chose otherwise. Yeah, they most certainly did. And I 
hope this motivates uh, you and uh, your fellow uh, students whenever you get old enough to vote, to vote in the next local election to make sure the students have a school board that listens to their needs and doesn't remain loyal to the superintendent all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, moving on uh, to uh, recently where your community and all of us in America um, marked the one-year anniversary of the dark day that befell uh, Parkland. And what were the highlights during that week of remembrance? And what made things hard at first? And how were you all able to pull through despite all the pain? Um, well, the, the anniversary was on, the four, was on Thursday, the 14th of February. And I feel like the buildup to that day to that day was actually worse than the actual day because I went to school on Wednesday the 13th and it felt like it, it was a cold gloomy day and the, the sky was dark with clouds and it, just, it felt just it felt like there's something different in the air you know like it's the, the city the community it, it felt different than usual and um I was walking in the courtyard that morning and it just I, I felt like the buildup for the next day was a lot worse than that than the 14th than actually was. But the 14th, um, there was a garden that was set up um, at the, the Stone and Douglas sign by um, actually Glock's boyfriend, Joaquin's boyfriend, um, Tori. Um, and for couple, going back a couple months, she started a garden where you can plant flowers called Project of Love, Grow Love. And um, so I was there most of the day and I planted flowers and I was talking to people. I was talking to people like how they, how they're doing, how they're holding up, um, like how far we've come as a community. And it's just all in the city. You you could feel the love, you know. At, at the there's a vigil later that night to remember the victims and um, all the religious um, figures were had some speeches. And it just it felt just unified. Every single person I saw in any of my classes or from middle school ever. I gave them a hug. I asked them what they were doing. And I just, I could just really like feel the love in Parkland. Um, so it wasn't as bad as I thought it was, and it turned out to be a moving on day, you know. And just remembering we lost, but also remembering that we can't let this define who we are and to continue with everything. That is very, very um, uh, encouraging and and moving to hear. And that uh, garden that. Uh, you guys planted in front of the school uh, is an absolutely beautiful sight, and uh, and I hope it uh, continues to grow um, uh, even more uh, in the years ahead. And speaking of uh, that garden, uh, I find myself using this as well. Many um, gun violence prevention activists uh, use a sun the sun, a sunflower emoji a lot on social media. Uh, what does the sunflower emoji mean? Uh, to the gun violence prevention movement? Um, I mean, it's, it's just a cool emoji, I guess. Um, but back then, um, pretty sure the, the road had changed when they went to Wanafee, Virginia, in, in front of the NRA headquarters. There was an event where they went, I think it was the day of the NRA's um, convention, something like that, somewhere along the lines of that. And they actually, Marshall Lab decided to hand out sunflowers um, to all of their activists, even the people on the other side, even the people on the NRA side. They gave them all sunflowers and snow cones. And um, I, I think sunflowers, you just, it's, a, it's a beautiful flower. And it shows like, the, the vibrant yellow. So it's just a good, um, just a good flower and highlights everything. Yes, and I kind of view that as a symbol of trying to 
heal the divides of this country. Like even mm-hmm. though uh, there's passionate uh, people on the other side, uh, it's kind of like that thing that we try to let them know that we know they're good people deep down and we eventually could come to a consensus on this one day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, I, del- I delete what was the end of there, Chris. So sorry. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> delete that too. And Logan, as the co-director of the March for Our Lives Parkland chapter and a resident of that community, and as a student at Stoneman Douglas, you've had the chance to learn from some of the inspiring uh, young leaders that have already become household names, but many of them will be headed off to college next year. What are some of the most important lessons you've learned from them, and how do you plan to carry on their legacy in your community going forward? Um, as the co-director as the Parkland chapter, I just want to focus on the community right now. Um. But yeah, you, you brought up a good point how a lot of the um, the older activists are moving on to college. I think that's part of the reason why I actually was decided as the co-director because um, we actually want to stay away from like the national directors. Like, you, you, like, you don't want David Hogg running the parking chapters. So I think it's better um, having me and um, there's actually it's actually Lauren Hogg and then um, a senior at Douglas um, that other main people running the, cha- the leadership of the chapter um but yeah the, the other activists have um, given me a lot of good advice and stuff i, I um i overheard um at an event david was talking about how they want to focus on um being more inclusive to minorities and and, and um people of color and it was that was really inspiring that that was really inspiring for me because to see a white kid that has every um that that has all, all every privilege imaginable to be to stand up for people of color and to say um that he's not gonna use his privilege but he could use it for good um that's just really inspiring for me and that inspired me to try to do the same and um also on the 14th i was um, talking to him a little bit and every time that the um the reporters like tried going up to him he said no interviews because he wanted to focus on the people that are actually affecting the knowledge. So it, it was just really insightful to see how he's standing up and making a change for um, minorities. Oh, amen to everything you said about David. And you could easily tell by his Twitter feed. Heck, uh, I, I personally said yesterday that uh, he's becoming Nazi's worst nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he did definitely uh, definitely a candidate for that distinction. Won't, won't you think so? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And uh, this week, the House of Representatives will pass H.R. 1, a landmark piece of legislation to make our democracy function better. And Congresswoman Ayanna Presley proposed an amendment to H.R. 1 that will lower the voting age in federal elections from 18 to 16. Do you think 16-year-olds, and you're going to be 16 pretty soon, have earned the right to vote in presidential elections? Well... I'm not sure exactly about federally. I feel like that might be a little bit too controversial because H.R. 1 is such an amazing bill and goes over such amazing stuff like um, making Election Day a federal holiday and um, and stuff and, and um, giving voting um, machines giving voting machines more money to actually improve the um, the improve the experience of voting in our democracy. But I feel like. Definitely for um, local elections, such as mayor and stuff like that. I feel like 16-year-olds should be able to vote in those elections. But for federally, I feel like 
that might be a little bit too controversial. And I feel like that might take the um, TV attention away from such a great bill. So I don't know. Oh, that's a very excellent point, Logan. And uh, my first guest, uh, Felix Brody, who's part of March for Our Lives Boston, I talked about this issue with him, and he actually shares your sentiment. Very, very, very good point. And speaking of democracy and elections, uh, the 2020 election is underway as the uh, Democratic field starts to take shape. What are your thoughts on this current field of uh, 2020 Democratic presidential candidates? Uh, who are your favorites, your least favorites, and why? Um, well, for right now, I feel like Kamala Harris is the best bet because um, that the um. The one town hall she was seen in, in uh, Iowa was really good for her. I watched it, and she talked a lot about um, gun violence and how important gun violence was to her. So I feel like she's really good when it comes to that, and she's a strong candidate. She's um, she is inclusive, or she represents what the, dec- what the Democratic Party wants to represent. And um, but I, I really want Beto um, to run. I feel like Beto can really in- inspires me with uh, as a young people. And really, um, would be a really good choice for um, for the nominee. I was actually watching a documentary on the 2000s and watching Obama's campaign running on Hillary. I can see a lot of similarities between Obama and Beto, and um, so I feel like Beto would be really good um, for the country. But I also least favorite. I feel like um, there's not. Well, there's like 14 or 13 people running the Democratic primary right now, I'm pretty sure. And I feel like besides the main ones of like Bernie, Kamala, um, Elizabeth Warren, and so on, I feel like everyone else is kind of a distraction to say. I feel like they're just going like, to take attention off of the, the main topics that we um, as Democrats like, want to push for. But um, least favorite, I think, would be... Um, out of the main one, I feel, I feel like Bernie is like I feel like Bernie kind of loses me because he has all these great points. Like I, I agree with what he wants to say, but there's not really logical ways to do the stuff he wants. Like um, it's a lot of things where it comes to um um what is it? um I, like working class. It, it, it's it, it all, it's all sexy when you say like a fifteen dollar minimum wage, but let's actually work towards doing that. Like he actually hasn't had any policy brought up, so I feel like he's one of the worst out of the the major candidates. And I feel like he's also kind of a distraction to say. Very interesting handicap of, of the candidates there. And aside from his appeal to young people, what makes Beto similar to Barack Obama in your eyes? Um, well, the campaign they ran. Barack ran on the people and with the yes we can and, and running on the, the people's vote. And I feel like Beto is very similar to what he did uh, in Texas. He actually, he, he lost by three points in Texas, which is the closest by Democrat ever. The, um, the only time Democrats won in Texas was in 1974 for Senate. So moving Texas towards a more blue state with Beto, which Beto did, was extremely difficult, but it shows improvement and shows strides towards the future. And I feel like Beto represents the, the ideas and the ideologies that the, Democrat, that the Democratic Party wants. And I feel like he'd be a really good bet for, um, for president. Yeah, how would you feel about a Kamala Harris Beto work ticket? That would be amazing. I feel like if 
Kamala Harris doesn't win the um the the, the election or the Democratic nominee, I feel like she'd be really good as um SAG because she's a very good um law background as the California AG. So I feel like she'd be really good in that position if she loses. He is Logan Rubenstein, ladies and gentlemen, a freshman at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School. You can follow him on Instagram at Logan.Rubenstein or on Twitter at LoganRube underscore 17. And uh, correct me, am I right about your Twitter handle? LoganRube yeah, underscore right. 17? Yep, you got, got it there. And now I'd like to play an interesting little game with you, Logan. This is a word association game. I'm going to mention a political figure or term, and you're supposed to respond with the first word, just the first word that comes to your mind, starting with NRA. Guns. Nancy Pelosi. Badass. Mike Pence. Anti-gay. Alexandria... Uh, you said uh, anti-gay, but we'll put homophobic instead, because oh, that's okay. one word. <laughs> but I, I get it. Right, so homophobic. Alexandria Ocasio Cortez. Another badass. Badass again. Uh, can you think of any other words for Alexandria Ocasio Cortez um, since you just used badass? Strong, independent, black woman. Strong. Well, what's strong? Mitch McConnell. Turtle. <laughs> Turtle. <laughs> Barack Obama. Um, inspiring. Vladimir Putin. Uh, Russia. I, um, oh, Trump. <laughs> uh, I think uh, totalitarianism or evil. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I don't fault you for saying Russia because uh, he runs Russia. It's a totalitarian state. He owns it. So Russia will count there. Mm. And last but not least, Islam. Um, oh, it's a tough one. Oh, I don't know. Uh, Middle East. Uh, interesting phrase there. Uh, that word association game is uh, very challenging, but you did a very good job with it. And Logan Rubenstein, thank you so much once again for joining us. But before you go, I want to give you a little opportunity to promote the work of March for Our Lives at this current time. And the question is, what should anybody, anybody, be doing to help March for Our Lives right now, this week, whether they be seven years old or 70 years old? Um, well, right now, I feel like what I said before with the um, S42 and HR1112, um, just call your senators, email, letter, text, anything you can do to uh, tell your senators um, to vote for in favor of gun reform, universal background checks to save lives. That would be magnificent. Um, get group of friends, um, politically active people, and just get down to business, start writing letters. Um, also, you should, like I said before, start a chapter in your lives and research gun violence. Um, um, you can go on the marchyourlives.com. Um, I think it's under hat slash policy, I want to say. Um, it's just all the things that martial lives supports and all the things that would save lives. So um, so just get educated. Once you are able to, if you, if you're, if you are, or if you are, already able to you should vote um for candidates that would support um gun reform and um yeah just save lives thank you very much logan rubenstein and that's it for this week thank but we you. plan to be back with another great discussion next week so stay tuned for further updates on the development of this endeavor and we're just getting warmed up please follow me on twitter at dcromelo17 and on instagram at youth saving democracy 
For Logan Rubenstein, our producer Chris Broadhead, this is David Cromwell saying so long, and sooner rather than later, the young people will win, and they will win bigly. Mm-hmm.